Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. ESNY. Yeah, but Chip and I, we, we both work in school, so we had, uh, my, this was my first day with kids back in the building, a lot of excitement, a lot of chaos, a lot of craziness, um, but, you know, that, that comes with uh, everything that, you know, comes with going, coming back into school under, under these current times, so, uh, yeah, a, a lot of stuff going on, um, but we are very excited tonight to talk San Antonio Spurs basketball, um, as Knicks fans, Chip and I, we, we do have a little bit of a connection to the San Antonio Spurs organization. Obviously, the 1999 finals, uh, not really a great moment for us, but always have respect for the Spurs franchise. We're super pumped to bring on a very talented writer from SB Nation's Pounding the Rock, Noah Magaro-George. Noah, what's going on, man? Thank you for coming on the pod. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. How are y'all doing? Very good, very good. You know what? Uh, you know, it's it's a fall, very mild fall day here in New York. We know you're in Texas, so who knows? Maybe it's like uh, 80 and humid over there, but very it's nice. Like, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. It's 80 over here. It's not cold. I'm sure soon when it gets into the 60s, 70s, people will be breaking out the coats here. Yes. <laughs> that's. I guess for us, that's usually like 50s or 40s, but um, it's, it's all coming soon, pretty much, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, like I said before, we're very pumped to talk San Antonio Spurs basketball with you. A little bit of a a disappointing season, obviously for a franchise that is very used to making the playoffs on a very consistent basis, um, from top down with RC Buford, Greg Popovich, um, you know, just a lot of talent, bright minds all over the place. When you think about, um, the 2019, 2020 season, just initial thoughts, like what goes through your mind? Um, well, obviously disappointment because, you know, the 23-year-long the playoff streak ended. But I think what makes that such a frustrating season is not just that they ended their playoff streak, but in, in the way that it ended. Uh, a lot of the, the situation with San Antonio, it felt it could have been avoided this year. And I'm not saying that the young players could have carried San Antonio to you know, a, a, a deep finals run or a deep playoff run or anything like that. But there were a lot of players who were clearly past their prime, who were defensive liabilities, who weren't making up for it on the offensive end, who just continued to get the benefit of the doubt while young guys, you know, they, they bided time in the G League, they sat on the bench, 
And, um, you know, when they got a chance to play, they were clearly better than the, the, the veterans that just weren't producing. But, you know, they, they didn't get a chance to show off until the bubble. And then when they went 6-2 and two in the bubble, it was too late. You know, they missed the playoffs by a game. So disappointment is just the first thing that comes to mind thinking about this season, but also a bit of optimism. You know, this is uncharted territory for the Spurs, or at least during my fandom. I'm not, I'm not super old, so I've pretty much only known – uh, you know, winning with the Spurs, but it, it, it brings some optimism seeing that, you know, even if they don't have that elite kind of Luka Doncic or Zion Williamson or, you know, a Devin Booker kind of guy, uh, they still have young pieces that are worth not necessarily building around as the franchise player, but who can be a part of that, you know, rebuilding process. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think all of those points are valid. And, and you bring up the defense. I believe they were 25th out of 30. Uh, and defensive rating, you know, not typical for a Spurs team. I, I think the offense was ninth or so, you know, so you know that they can score points. Um, I So in, in preparation for this pod, I'm, I'm looking at a, a lot of things, and I, I guess the best way that I can phrase trying to transition this conversation to the offseason is it seems like there's a lot of dominoes at play, right, in terms of what's going to happen and – and how that leads to what direction the Spurs want to go. So Pop is is another year older, right? He's 72 years old. Um, DeRozan has a player option. Um, Patty Mills, I believe, has one year left on his deal. Uh, what do you think? There's there's a couple of other guys that are, are potential free agents. What do you think is going to happen first? Um, and, and ultimately, what direction do you think the Spurs go? Do you think that they try to run it back with some free agents or do you think that they embrace and kind of go full throttle with a rebuild? You know, I would hope that they would go full throttle with the rebuild, having seen that the young guys are able, at least at the very least, to be competitive in the NBA, especially, I mean, all the teams in the bubble were in the playoff race. So everyone they faced, even if you sat a few players, maybe the starters didn't play every game for the opposing teams, but you know that they could be competitive. At the NBA level, and and so you know, as much as I was really thrilled to see them play, and I was encouraged with what I saw, I don't know with Greg Popovich, like you said, a year older, he's seventy-one years old. You know, he'll be seventy-two next year. I don't know that the Spurs are willing to, um, you know, not be competitive, if if, if that makes sense. Um, I don't think they're necessarily ready to hand the reins over to young guys. You know, Demar has a player option this off season. Uh, in all likelihood, he accepts it. That's a lot of money to leave on the table, especially in a year where the cap is uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the financial repercussions of, of COVID-19. Um, and, and then in terms of some of the other guys, you've got Brent Forbes, whose contract is expiring, Marco Bellinelli, whose contract is expiring. And they played a lot of minutes for the Spurs. They played almost 40 minutes per game combined, but they're two guys who clearly need to go. But I don't, I don't know that they're not going to get re-signed even to, you know, even if it was a reasonable contract, I don't necessarily think they should be coming back. So we'll see. I mean, they have a lottery pick, uh, but I think in all likelihood, we probably see the Spurs run it back to a certain degree, maybe with you know the lottery pick coming in, uh, maybe a free agent here or there. But the Spurs have, have been consistent, and not just in winning, not just in making the playoffs, but consistent in roster construction. There's not a lot of roster turnover. The last time we saw them make – um, a trade outside of the Kawhi trade, which I consider to be kind of a – their hand was forced. They didn't want to make the deal. They had to make the deal. The last time they had a trade that they wanted to do was with Austin Day 
uh, coming in at like the 2014. What a name drop! Deadline. What a name drop, by the way. Awesome. <laughs> so the, the Spurs really good college player. He was. He was. I uh, I remember people were saying, "Oh, he kind of reminds me of KD," and uh, we know how that went. Did not turn out that yeah. way, but. Yeah, I mean, he came in. That was their guy they traded for, and they just don't – they don't make a lot of trades. They, they're not big move makers. Um, you know, the LaMarcus signing back in the – I think the offseason or 2015, I'm going to say, uh, that was a huge deal for the Spurs. But since then, they haven't really been able to land any big fish or do much of anything with, um, you know, bringing free agents to San Antonio. And they're not uh, – you know, while it's a big city, it's not a traditionally big market sports team. So I think in all likelihood, like I said, they're probably going to run it back with maybe a few additions here or there. But I think one thing I want to see them not do is I, I don't want them to be convinced that this team is good enough to make a playoff push, adding LaMarcus Aldridge back, adding Trey Lyles back, adding Patty Mills back, because they did well in the bubble minus those guys. But now I don't want them to say, oh, well, we did so well without them. If we add them now that we have this little chemistry going. Uh, you know, maybe we can make a push because I don't think that's true. I think we saw what the, the, the ceiling for that team is. And it was a first round exit at the hands of the Denver Nuggets, uh, you know, a season ago. So I, I don't think that that team uh, is very good. I don't think the Spurs probably make the playoffs next year as much as, you know, our fans don't want to hear that. But we'll see. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be a very integral offseason, like you said, to determining what direction this franchise goes in. Yeah, I think next offseason is a big one for them, right? Because they have DeRozan, Aldridge, Mills, and Gay are all expiring, right? So they could potentially move. I don't think they will, like you said. And I read your uh, article about how they need to bring in a franchise player, and you said they you would never advocate for the Spurs tanking as long as Pop is the coach. And I agree with that. You have an elite coach. Why would you tank? And I think – that's probably why they would never trade DeRozan or Aldridge. Yeah. But if you bring back, you bring back all of those guys, Mills and Gay too. Uh, could you see the Spurs swinging a trade for one of those expiring players? Obviously, it, it would be tougher to move one of them than DeRozan or Aldridge. But yeah, so with with Rudy Gay, I could see them trying to move him. I don't think it's going to be very easy to move him. He makes a good amount of money for how little production he has. And he had a really good stint in the bubble. But Rudy Gay is always good after long periods of rest. So when he's coming off of an offseason, he's always excellent. But those legs get tired really quick. His efficiency on both ends diminishes pretty quickly. And then we, we get exactly what most fans expect is a good first half of the season, a really sorry second half of the season. And I don't know how many teams are willing to give something up. Now, maybe he has a, a smaller role with a contender like the Lakers or the Clippers, but I don't see the Spurs trading him to, uh, you know, a, a what's considered like a rival team. Now, with Patty, I don't see them getting rid of him. He's such the heart and soul of that locker room. Um, he embodies pretty much everything you would want from a San Antonio Spur, from, the, the, you know, their franchise values to him just being – he's selfless. He's a really great community, uh, like an international citizen. He's – He's great at being a world citizen, rather, not international citizen, but a, a citizen of the world. He really cares about people. He cares about his country. Um, and, and the Spurs love him for that. And I don't see them getting rid of him. I think they probably will end up bringing him back just because they're loyal to people. Um, but Rudy Gay, on the other hand, like I said, I think they, they might look into moving him. They could. I don't know what you could get for him. Um and, and maybe, you know, DeRozan or Aldridge could potentially be moved. But like you said, I, I don't think they move that, that guy unless they think they're getting something that helps them stay competitive. And I think they owe that to, to, to Popovich at the very least. 
but you know, is that the right move in terms of what you want long-term with the franchise? Maybe not, but I don't know if I can blame them for not making the move while, while Popovich is here. He's probably here for at least the remainder of this three-year contract, which next season and the following season. So we'll, we'll just have to see. Now that loyalty to Mills, where does that leave like Derek White, who's extension eligible this offseason? Because I'm yeah, they play the same spot. Yes, that is a very interesting question. So uh, for a long time, Spurs fans, not a long time, probably the last two years, you know, when Derek White emerged with DeJounte Murray out with that ACL injury, people have been saying, well, you got to get DeJounte out of here because they can't coexist. I don't think that's true, but the Spurs offered DeJounte an extension. It's about $16 million a year. It's a good amount of money, so they're probably not ready to give up on him right away. But Derek looked so good in the bubble, and he looked so good in the playoffs last year. Uh, I think they are, they would want to extend him. He's a guy who's all defense uh, caliber kind of defender, and he's a guy who, if given the opportunity, he's shown he can you know get you 18 points per game, five assists, four or five rebounds, um, a valuable maybe third best player on a championship team. But it's just so tough. There's so many guards on this team. It is so guard loaded from Bellinelli to Forbes to Murray to White to DeRozan to Lonnie Walker, Keldon Johnson even maybe. I mean, you might consider him more of a forward wing hybrid but it, it is so strange the the roster construction is really awkward right now and a lot of these young guys have shown you hey you give them more minutes um they're more productive but it's hard to spread the minutes out when you have so many guys at the same position i love lonnie walker i mean yeah. twitter so high on lonnie walker <laughs> like there's something about lonnie walker that's Since actually was in college too that yeah. that that leads me to my uh my next question so it's funny because when the Knicks drafted um, Kevin Knox, I was doing a whole bunch of different scouting reports for the, the site um, for this podcast. Lonnie Walker was one of them. And he was really, really interesting to me. Like a guy that when you watch tape, he just did the, – the consistency wasn't there and maybe the volume of production wasn't there. But he did things where you were just like, whoa, like, like you don't see that all the time. Like a very dynamic athlete. Um, and then you look at some of the production he's had um, in a Spurs uniform. Uh, the the sample size isn't there, but shot well from three. Has a 40-inch vert, 6'10 wingspan. Like when you see Lonnie Walker, um, and, and I want to kind of also talk about some of the other young kids on the Spurs, but do you personally believe he's worth investing in and developing? And, and who do you see as maybe like a, a potential player comp from him. I've seen some Ben Gordon comps, um, you know, maybe uh, maybe something along that that wing. Um, but, but what do you see for him? So for Lonnie Walker, uh, I've been a big advocate of his since they drafted him. He's somebody who I thought was a lottery talent who probably slipped um, because he has a little bit of injury concerns. He has some knee injury concerns. And then he actually did tear, I think, his MCL um, when he first got to the Spurs. So, I mean, those are valid. And then you're right, the consistency, it's just not there. He pops on tape because he's just such an explosive athlete. He is a very good shooter. He's got good form. He's got a quick release. And he's shown that he can knock down the three ball in the G League and the NBA. Um, so I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about with Lonnie Walker is, you know, what does he look like in a year or two? Because if he still isn't where you want him to be, I don't think he's ever going to get there. 
He's a guy who, to me, when he first came into the league, and maybe even a little bit now, he's a better athlete than he is a basketball player necessarily. But we've seen him get better. We've seen him improve his consistency from beyond the arc. We've seen him improve his handle, and we've seen him improve his ability to be a secondary or tertiary facilitator. But one of the things with him is that it's not always there. Sometimes, you know, Popovich is always on him, as he is with a lot of young guys. But he's on him a lot saying, you need to be aggressive. Yeah, I, I, and, and that's something that a lot of players just cannot learn. Being aggressive, being the guy, is some, sometimes it's just something some guys don't want. Right. And that's something I need to see from him. I need to see, are you willing to be aggressive without being told to do so? And on the defensive end, I don't have a lot of worries. Sometimes he's out of place. But he's got really quick feet. He's got fluid hips. He can pretty much stay with anybody. He's got a sturdy body, too. He's about up to 215 now, um, 220-ish weight. And he played excellent defense on guys like James Harden, Luka Doncic. Um, you know, throughout the season, we saw him do a good job. But the consistency, again, is not always there. And, and somebody who I think he should aspire to is, is maybe someone like a Victor Oladipo, someone who, you know, he hung his hat on defense, defense coming first. into the league. Yeah. But he expanded his game on the offensive end every single year. And that's something that I want to see. I've seen it a little bit, you know, from year one to year two, he's expanded his game. But I need to see more in year three. And I think the Spurs want to see more because there's guys who play his position and or, or they play, you know, they're a wing who are going to challenge him for minutes this year. And, and, and for him, if he can just continue to add things, and for me specifically, shoring up the handle. He has got to get a better handle on the ball. He's not a great ball handler. He doesn't. He's not a confident ball handler either. Uh, you know, as soon as somebody crowds him, he tends to get looser with the handle, and he doesn't necessarily try to break down guys off the dribble with any moves. Now, there's a lot of workout tape on him, right? So you can see he's comfortable handling the ball in workouts, and but in a game, he's just not comfortable breaking those same moves out. And I need to see more from him going forward. But I'm, I'm confident that if he continues on the track he's on right now, continues to grow every year for the next year or two, I think he could be somebody who could be, you know, your second or, again, second or third best player on a, on a you know, contending team. I don't think he's that, you know, A1 player. I, I don't think he is. But, you know, he does have, I think, fringe all-star capability in him. And so I, it's funny because hearing you talk about him, and I, I, I like him too, I mean, I, I, I'm definitely buying his his ceiling, you know, I, I mean, in terms of being worth enough to kind of invest and, and see what you have there. But I am interesting, and it comes and it comes back to a point that you brought up earlier about, like you said, the logjam at wing, right? Like you already have DeJounte Murray there, uh, Derek White, Lonnie Walker, um, Keldon Johnson, you know, like is is Walker a guy that can be effective in a in a somewhat lower usage rate? And I already know that his usage rate right now is probably not that high. But do you it's see? But do you see him as like unless he's the two? Is is his role on this team with Murray and, and potentially White in the future as as maybe like a six man, like that guy that comes off the bench? Or do you do you see the Spurs maybe just playing a lot smaller and, and maybe he goes to the three or, or something like that. Yeah. So we saw that in the bubble. He played the three in the bubble and he did a pretty good job at it. But one of the things again, that you know, for me with, with Lonnie Walker is when, when he's out there, he, he tends to disappear. 
he he likes having the ball in his hands, but he's not always confident with with the ball in his hands, which can be an issue. So if he's a guy who needs the ball, but is also unconfident with the ball at times, that that leaves a little bit of an awkward fit. But I do think he he improved his ability to move without the ball this year. He was able to relocate when he didn't, you know, when he didn't have the ball, when he noticed his man wasn't paying attention, he relocated pretty well. But I think he's a, he's a guy who, when he does have a mismatch, he's going to have to attack it because right. at, at times, like I mentioned earlier, he just can be so passive, which can be frustrating because I do think he has mismatch capability just based on his explosiveness alone. But um, I, I do I do think he is somebody worth investing in. And I I would love to see him stay in the starting lineup. I don't think he, he loves coming off the bench. Um, not that anybody really does, especially, you know, having been the man from high school to college. And then, you know, in, in the G league, he was their number one option in his rookie year on the G league. So he, you know, he was that guy. Um, but I think he fits better as a starter, but if he had to be a, a sixth man, I think he, he could do it, but uh, I think he would probably preferably want to be a starter. It's so fun. Oh my God. See, you know what? It's so funny too. You're talking about Lonnie and also talking about, I forget whether it was you were referencing the, the Rosen or, LaMarcus as being like a really big community guy. Um, but I remember when I did that scouting report report for Lonnie Walker, one of the things that really stood out was that, I forget what it was, but he grew up in Pennsylvania and maybe it was Redding, yeah. but he did something yeah. really, really awesome in his hometown. Like he came back and, and really gave back, but it wasn't just giving back. It was something specific. But I remember reading that and being like, Dude, this kid's gonna be fine wherever he goes. Lonnie's like, a great guy. Yeah, yeah. Lonnie is, is an exceptional person, uh, and I think that's another reason why the Spurs like him. I mean, the Spurs typically go after those guys who really have, um, you know, they're more than a basketball player. They're a great right. human being. You know, Lonnie, uh, when he was drafted, he ended and he got that Adidas sponsorship for his shoes, and on a shoe deal, he ended up giving back I think over two hundred fifty pairs of shoes. To, to youth basketball programs in a city. He comes back every single off season and does multiple uh, basketball camps. Now, I, I don't know how COVID affected it. I don't think he did it this year. Yeah. But he was also a part of, um, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter marches in San Antonio. You know, right. it's a city he's not even from. Right. He doesn't have to do that. Right. Uh, he, you know, he did that voluntarily. That's on his own. And he, he, he even opened up this off season about, um, about having been, you know, sexually uh, taken yeah, advantage of by yeah, his family right. members. And I think that's a, a really strong show of, of someone who is willing to be vulnerable and try to move past past traumas. Right. And I think I'm really proud of him for, for talking about that, for opening up, because when somebody has that big of a platform, it helps people who are in that same situation. But, you know, maybe they don't have that platform. Maybe they feel like no one hears them. And I think it, it affects, you know, that that group of people in a positive way. So I think... In terms of uh, being a good human being, Lonnie Walker will have no issue fitting. He and he hasn't. He has had any issue fitting in with the Spurs and in their, you know, their their morals and their ideals. Yeah, uh, that's so true. I can't believe I forgot about that. The NBA in general has has been really great, specifically the young players um, yeah. being very vocal and using their platform uh, to discuss a lot of issues related to mental health, um, various types of abuse. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I. Whether he does or he doesn't, I'm definitely rooting for. It's it's hard not to root for a guy like Lonnie Walker for sure. Um, and it's also interesting because there's there's a bunch of there for a team that they're not necessarily considered old, but it's just because Pop is the coach and it's like the Spurs. Yeah. They sometimes have like uh, 
you know, the, the aura of like boring basketball attached to them, which is not always necessarily true. You, you feel like they're old, but they, they have a fair amount of young players on the team between, um, you know, guys that we've already mentioned and Keldon Johnson, maybe you could throw Jakob Pertl in there. I am not sure. Uh, Lucas Samanich, who I know spent a lot of time in the G league. Uh, besides, yeah, Brent Forbes, Forbes, of course, of course. Um, Besides the guys we've mentioned, like who do you think personally is, is really worth developing and potentially investing in down the line? So I actually we already have mentioned him, but Kel- I think Keldon Johnson is another player who's worth um, developing. I, I, I would like to see his development track stay in San Antonio and see where he is at the end of that. Um, now, a lot of Spurs fans are ready to say, you know, Keldon is the next face of the franchise um, because he went into the bubble – he averaged 14 points per game on 65% shooting and 62% from three. Now, those aren't sustainable numbers. And 14 points per game, I, I also like to try to remind some of the Spurs fans that a lot of teams sat their starters against the Spurs, and a lot of teams um, had injuries. So they weren't playing teams at their full capacity. I think they had the benefit, you know, Kelvin had the benefit of that, plus the fact that he had only played nine NBA games. Uh, up to that point so teams didn't really have an idea of what his role was what he was going to do and in the g league he shot 22 percent from three on three attempts per game and you know they're not if they see that they have that at hand that's all they have to look after you know they're not going to mold their game plan to you know keep him off the three-point line and then when he shoots 62 percent on two two attempts in the bubble you know they're mostly wide open shots right. and his, his his uh his baskets that were unassisted it was only 22 percent so most of his baskets are going to be off of assists he doesn't really create for himself yet and i and that's one of the reasons i'm not ready to say you know face the franchise he's going to average 15 or 20 next year i think we got to slow our roll as as first fans and go okay he had a nice showing in the bubble let's see if he can kind of maintain that momentum going into next year maybe 10 12 points per game either as a starter or coming off the bench and then then let's see what he's added over the offseason and then we can reanalyze because we only have about 20 games worth of a sample size to look at right now. And I think it's unfair to place that kind of pressure or that kind of expectation on someone like Keldon. Though I think he is someone worth investing in. He is worth looking after. He, he played fearless defense. He, he took every single assignment like it was like it was going to be his last. He's diving on the floor for balls. He's in guys' face. Um, he's shooting threes without hesitation. And one of the things he's really good at, though, he's not really a great ball handler and he doesn't really create a shot. He's a really good cutter and he's really exceptional at getting contact and finishing through contact. He had about 10 and ones in the bubble. Mm. And he also got to the free throw line about four times per game. That's a lot for someone who's not averaging that many points. His his free throw rate was on pace with Jimmy Butler's. Now, I don't think I don't expect that to be maintained into next year but those are two things that i think are interesting for a young guy who you know maybe he doesn't get his his buckets on his all on his own right now but he may have the potential to do that in the future if he adds um you know more to his dribble package more you know hesitations more ball fakes that kind of thing you know because that's a good sign to begin with yeah and he was a mcdonald's all-american five-star recruit at, and played at Kentucky with Tyler Hero. He was supposed to be a guy. Yeah, like he wasn't. Yeah. He was supposed to be this good. So it's not like a huge stunner. But yeah, no, I no. I wouldn't be surprised if he was a stud for them. Like he's like I know he. I'm not sure where off the top of my head he went in the draft, but 
late first, right? Yeah, 29. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you could you play at Kentucky, you kind of get caught in the – of all those stars, you get caught sometimes oh, yeah. <laughs> just playing was there. So. I was really surprised he fell. I've been following – you know, I've been doing some, like, uh, film studies and, and, and some scouting on the last three or four drafts, and he was a guy who I went, well – Maybe he's not one of the elite guys, but he's someone who deserves maybe a look right outside of the lottery or maybe the very end of the lottery. And when he fell to 29, I was really surprised. And then when he spent most of the year in the G League, I just thought this is such a mistake because Marco Bellinelli and Brent Forbes have been so bad this year. He could fill in for them. And I'm not saying he's going to be spectacular, but he's NBA ready. He's not going to be um, afraid of the moment. Like you said, McDonald's All-American, top 10 high school recruit played at Kentucky, knows what it is to play in a big game at a big program. Uh, but, you know, that's not how it happened. You know, we're going to have to uh, – we had to be patient, and we're probably going to have to be a little bit patient next year. Because uh, I think if we learned anything, it's that even if you played well for a stretch, whether that be postseason or maybe at the end of the season or in the bubble, Popovich isn't just going to hand you a role. Derek right. White broke out last year in the playoffs, and people were going, well, he's one of the breakout stars to watch for 2019-2020 season. And then he spent most of the year coming off the bench while they got DeJounte reacclimated to playing the starting point guard. And um, it, it wasn't a great um, wasn't a great experiment. I think it was a failed experiment. I also thought they could have played together and, 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 and together and been effective. But up until the bubble, they only played about 100 minutes together over 50 or so games. So they almost never were on the court at the same time, despite defense being their calling card and that was San Antonio's worst area this year. So we'll just, I mean, again, this is a lot of, a lot of hypotheticals, but we'll just have to see what Keldon can do going into next year. And similar situation with Pirtle, I thought, because people were talking about how he might be a breakout candidate for this year. And then he yeah. just kind of played the same amount of minutes this year as he did last year. And I don't know if you would know better than us, if he was just kind of the same player this year that he was last year, maybe he didn't improve. But, like, maybe you could talk about that. And if you think San Antonio is going to bring him back next year, it would seem that they would, right? Because he's yeah, young, he's 24. I think they would want to bring him back because he was part of that trade package that, you know, they got for Kawhi Leonard. And he was offensively pretty much the exact same player he was a year ago. But uh, on the defensive end, he was much better. He was much improved. He was one of the best rim protectors in the NBA this season, just statistically. Um, and he was someone who, if, if I had to say he did add one thing to his game, or maybe he, he just showed it more this season because he was more comfortable with the players he played with was his passing chops. Um, you know, he was a guy who averaged like three or four assists per 36 minutes. He, he knows how to find an open teammate. Now he's not like a Jokic passer or a Bam at a bio level big man passer, but he's a high IQ basketball player. He knows when to make the right pass. He doesn't commit very many turnovers, but he just... He doesn't really flash on offense. You know, he's not a shooter. He, he's not someone who's going to get you in the post and break you down, you know, with his back to the basket. He's someone who's just pick and roll pretty much exclusively. Off. That's how his offense comes. He's rolling to the basket. He's, you know, finishing with a layup. And one of the things that I think is so ridiculous right now is Spurs fans are kind of, uh, you know, sour on him because in the bubble he didn't dunk as much as they wanted him to. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he, there was an instance where at the end of the Sixers game with the Spurs, where it was like neck and neck, where he was in traffic, Joel Embiid's there, Tobias Harris is there, and a few other Spurs players are all in the post, scrambling for the ball. He gets a hold of the ball, 
and he puts up a you know just a little baby hook because he's trying to get it off as quickly as possible without getting blocked and he misses it the Spurs lose the game and Spurs are like well why didn't he dunk it you know why didn't he well that's not first off he's not really that explosive he doesn't have much pop um, his arms aren't very long either for a guy his height he's not going to dunk it if he's in traffic most of the time that's not going to happen but then it became an issue where he missed a few bunnies uh, where he could have dunked where he was like wide open. And he could have dunked, but he just missed it. And so now that's their lasting impression on him right now is, well, he's a guy who missed a bunch of easy shots. He should just be dunking more. I I think that's an overblown issue. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think he'll probably hear that and maybe he'll work on it. Maybe he won't. But I don't think it's as big of an issue. And I do think they will try to bring him back. Now, for what kind of money? I have no idea. What's the market for a more traditional center who doesn't really provide any – offense of his own i i don't know i've seen people say anywhere from 13 million to 16 million to as low as 8 million i think that 10 to 13 million range is probably more likely but i i don't know i really don't know what he commands on this market i don't know especially for his type of play like i have no idea yeah non-shooting bigs i think they could get him pretty cheap yeah they should 24 years old i think i think they'll probably bring him back I hope they do. I like. I really do like him. Whether that's he's the starter or he's coming off the bench, I think he's still a useful NBA player. I think he's a, a, still very young. He still has um, some untapped potential. Not necessarily star potential, but he has room to improve for sure. I remember Zach Lowe always used to speak really highly of him when he was with the Raptors. Jakob <laughs> uh, Pertl, like he would always say something like really positive about him, um, but. I, I guess uh, another piece of off-season, you know, on the off-season to-do list is is always draft for every team. And uh, we were talking a little bit before, you know, we started recording. Um, we know that you have done, you know, a lot of film study on, on different drafts and whatnot. Uh, I'm, I'm very interested in this draft and especially to see how players pan out. Uh, the Spurs have two picks. I forget which one in the second round, but they had the 11th 11, pick. 41. Yeah. Um, so what are some names that, that you're very interested in? Uh, do you think that the Spurs will, at 11, go best player available? Do you think they will go need? Um, what are some guys that, who are some guys that you're high on? Yeah, so for me, I came into the year with this idea that Denny Abdija might be available if they were like okay, if they ended up getting like the 20th pick. But clearly we've seen his stock rise. He's a top maybe five pick, so he's probably not going to be there. And then I was very—I was also monitoring Killian Hayes because I thought, well, this guy is kind of just like twenty-ish, thirty-ish range, and now he is another guy who is at the top of the class. So my two favorite prospects for them probably won't be available. Um, but I'm also very high. And how I'm looking at this draft is for me, if I were the Spurs, I would go best player available regardless of fit. When you don't have a star, I don't think you can afford to draft for need because there's really is no need. Your main need is finding that guy. Um, and they probably won't find them in this draft. This is kind of a weaker class, not a lot of star power. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you a list of guys who, if the Spurs picked at 11, not saying they will be there, uh, but if they picked them, I would be fine with it. So uh, LaMelo Ball, I would be fine with Anyeko Kongu, Killian Hayes, James Wiseman, Tyrese um, Halliburton, uh, Anthony Edwards, Obi Toppin, Denny, Devin Vassell, Alexi Pokashevsky. Um, Isaac Okoro, those are all guys that if they're there at 11, the Spurs should pick them. Uh, there are a few guys who I think they should avoid at all costs. Um, 
I think I might be lower than on them than some, but uh, Precious Achiowa and Jalen Smith are two guys who I think are getting a lot of hype. They're going up draft boards, but I don't think they have that much value in the NBA right now. And I don't think that, I think it would be a mistake if the Spurs selected somebody like that with Achiowa. A lot of his skills are more theoretical than they are practical at that moment. We don't know that he's actually going to be able to guard one through five. Right. Did a little bit of it in college. He showed flashes, but a lot of times outside of the blocks and steals, which I think people get too caught up in, he was lost a lot of times on defense, and he relied on his athleticism to get a, get along. And in the NBA, that's just not going to fly. Right. In the NBA, everyone's a great athlete to some degree. And then on the offensive end, he's just a turnover machine. Three turnovers per game doesn't really for other teammates. He's not a great scorer, um, and he's older. I think people don't realize he's older than most realize he's 21 years old already he'll be 22 next season I, I just think that would be a mistake they brought him in for or, or like a zoom meeting this week so we know they've talked to him we right. know they've done the same for Jalen Smith and they also did the same for Killian Hayes and there's been some some buzz that they might try to trade up for Killian Hayes I don't necessarily think you should trade up in this draft I think Killian Hayes is one of my favorite prospects though I don't necessarily know he's going to be like a some a, a superstar or even really an all-star but um, if they did, I wouldn't be that upset because I do really like Killian. And I always kind of – I'm kind of a homer here that the Spurs, no matter who they end up drafting, will be just fine. They're really good at developing talent. They're really good at bringing them through the G League first. Not necessarily that every need, player needs to go there, but if they do, they're good at bringing them through the G League, easing them into minutes, finding them a role. And, and Chip England is one of the best shooting coaches yes. in the NBA. Um, so if they don't have a shot most of the time, I'm not worried as long as there's a little bit of shooting potential. Um, so, you know, those are those are my guys who I like. And, uh, again, some guys who I don't care for too much. But, um, you know, th- at least in the first round. But if you if you want to talk about the second round, I'm totally fine to talk about some guys there as well. I, there was two things I wanted to hit on with some of the guys you mentioned. First, I want you to talk me into Denny of Deja because – Okay. I I'm 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 very I don't know. I, I don't know what to think of him because he's he's a jack of all trades, master of none, um, you know, not super athletic, but people do people are high on his craft and his skill, his IQ. Some people are saying buy the shot. We've seen a lot of workout tapes from him recently. Um I'm gonna be honest, I, I don't love him that much, but I also you know, I, I've watched tape of him, but I, I don't. I've, there's definitely more guys that I've studied way more extensively than him. Um, sure. But talk, talk me into him. Tell me what you see. So I think for just to lead off, I think Denny Abdija is a really solid prospect who has kind of fell victim to overhyping, right? Okay. So we we see a guy, international guy, or maybe we see a prospect and go, oh, he's the next X Y Z, and so now people are excited and they think that they're automatically going to be this player who. They clearly are not. Right. And with Denny, I think people are already saying, you know, he's going to be a star. But I think that's overblown. I don't think that is necessarily true. I think he's a good complimentary player, maybe your third or fourth best player on a championship team. But with me, for, for me, in this kind of draft that is not as loaded at the top, he's worth it to me because he has such a high basketball IQ. Right. He's able to move the ball. He's not a ball stopper. He keeps the ball moving, whether or not he gets an assist, you know, just moving it around the horn. Uh, he's a guy who is a smart cutter. He's an intelligent defender. He, you know, gets into position really well. His use of verticality, 
Um, you know, he doesn't have a great vertical jump, but his use of just getting his hands up and getting in the way without fouling has been excellent. And one of the things is, you know, we, we, we see a lot of times where like free throw percentage for guys who aren't necessarily good shooters, we say that's a good indicator for, for future shooting. And I think for the most part, that is true, though there can be outliers. For right. example, um, a LeBron James. Now he's shot 40% from three before, but he is routinely an average to below average free throw shooter. Right. Andre Iguodala, he's in the 35-ish to 38-ish range usually but his free throw percentage sits around 50 to 60. And I think Denny might be one of those guys. There are guys who just are not good at the free throw line. And he's someone who was awful at the free throw line. I think he shot about 50%. But one of the things I was really encouraged about when I watched him, especially when uh, the Israeli league, league came back after the initial wave. He tore it up. He tore it up in the playoffs, I'm pretty sure. He did. He was excellent in the playoffs. He was excellent as a spot-up shooter. He put a ton of work in. And I'm not really a guy who buys into videos of dudes shooting or dribbling or doing whatever it is they're doing in an empty gym because anyone can do that. They're all excellent. Uh, You know, they would be excellent against you and me. They're going to look awesome when nobody's there. Um, But uh, for all those videos – I don't care about the videos. What I do care about is the fact that he showed that, uh, you know, he can be a good shooter uh, throughout those Israeli league playoffs. So I'm happy with that. And again, he may not be a guy who's ever a star, uh, but one of the players I've seen him compared to is Hato Turkoglu. And I don't know that he necessarily reaches that ever, but if you're a guy who can be a secondary tertiary playmaker um, as a, a forward, I think that's very valuable in today's NBA. I think Akito Turkoglu was kind of ahead of his time. I think he would have been more valuable today than he was when he played with Magic. Yeah. So I do think that he Akito has Turkoglu a lot of would be a $100 million player today. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. And, and I think he also has a better defensive ceiling than Hato. Hato was not really a defender. No. And, and he didn't really care too much about that. He does care. He has a good motor <laughs> on that end. So. Um, it's funny because it, when, you know, to your point, I could see Denny being that secondary or tertiary playmaker, even like a Manu, right? Like, even if he gets that hockey assist, that pass that leads to the pass, you know, his court vision um, and IQ, I think that's where he's very valuable. Ultimately, I guess the reason I'm lower on Denny is because I actually think if he goes to a good team, he's going to be great. You know what I mean? Like, the better the team he goes to, like, his his development is going to skyrocket and he'll be fine. But if you yeah. draft him to, like, obviously, you know, the Knicks are, um, you know, we're drafting eight, you know, and I, I just don't think, like, I don't know. I don't know that he fits for, for us or any one of the top teams, really. Um, I agree. I agree with you completely there. But be- before we move on, uh, there's one other guy. Tell me why you're lower on Jalen Smith, because that was a guy that I, I, I liked yeah, a I lot. Yeah, I like Jalen Smith. But, I, <laughs> yeah. but, I, but the only thing is, though, I, I, I do – I have to try and see if I can remember what I wrote about him. I know that um, – like he shot well from three, but I don't know that the sample size was great. And I, and I think maybe um, – you know, because I think he was a sophomore. So he made a fair jump from his freshman to his sophomore year. But yeah. I will say this. I, he's His hips are a little stiff, so he's, he's not – um, you know, he's not, if you put him out on the perimeter, he, he's going to get burned a little bit. I, I think that's true. But what, what do you not like about him? Yeah. So we'll start off there. I don't think he's particularly versatile as a defender and being able to be switchable. I think if he switches on to 
uh, a guard or a wing on the perimeter, he's going to be easily exposed. Because you're right, I do think he has a bit of stiff hips. He he does. He isn't the most fluid athlete. I will say he's relatively explosive in space, but he's not that fluid. Another thing I worry about with him is near the rim. He was able to finish above the rim in college. We see that a lot in college where guys finish above the rim, but they're not able to do so in the NBA. And when he wasn't able to in college, he didn't show all that much touch. Like he doesn't have great touch around the rim on like, uh, you know, floaters or hooks or, you know, just little papa shots. They, they don't look great from him. And another thing I, I don't really buy into is, yes, he did shoot the ball well from three. And I think we have a good enough sample size to say he is going to be a decent or even above average standstill shooter. But I think the issue in the NBA is when you are a guy, and I don't necessarily, I'm not saying that he's a slow shooter. He doesn't have the fastest motion or the fastest uh, setup necessarily. Okay. But when you're a guy who is just a standstill shooter, your value kind of tanks a little bit as a shooter. I think if you're going to be a shooter, you need to be someone who's coming off of screens, who's shooting off of movement, who's able to relocate. And I think most of his... You know, most of his three-point standstill shots were pick and pop by design. I don't think he moves that well without the ball. So, to me, there's some issues there. And then defensively, again, uh, really did a great job, I think, protecting the rim. But I have some concerns about his ability to do that at the next level because right. we see it all the time where guys will average two or three or maybe just one block per game and then translate to the NBA. You know, guys are longer guards are quicker, have more pop. I, I just don't, I can't really buy into him. I don't think he's a bad prospect by any means, but if I was a team drafting, I would have him closer to the end of the first round or beginning of the second round on, on my big board. So I don't like hate him as a prospect, but I just don't think he's worth a, you know, top 15, 20 ish range pick. I, I just can't buy into him. It's, it's funny. Cause I remember, um, the, the fact that you brought up like, well, not really, not necessarily sure if he can bring up if his if he can defend that way at the next level, because there was a guy, I think it was two years ago that his his box plus minus was super high. I think it was Tariq Owens out of Texas Tech, and I remember thinking that, you know, not that he was going to be good in the league, but I thought he was at least going to get like drafted and do somewhat well. And I'm not even sure if he got drafted. And I, I, I don't if he's if he's so. in somewhere, it has to be the G League or somewhere else. But but it, you're I mean the point you bring up is is valid in the sense that. You know, just because he had a fair amount of blocks in Maryland um, doesn't necessarily mean it's it's going to be that way. I, I hope it is. I I, I do I do like um, the skill set that he brings to the NBA, but certainly it's going to be you know um, how how does it translate and and how does he kind of deal with just like the growing pains because they're they're definitely going to be there for him for sure. Sure, and, and I always try to remind like people listening to me that I I'm not. Uh... I don't like have anything against the guys personally, and yeah. I'm always rooting for them. Every single guy who I watch, um, I'm always rooting for them. I want to see every single guy be successful, but the likelihood of that happening is just so low. You know, there's yes. going to be busts. There's going to be guys who exceed expectations, and there's you know there's there's always going to be that different group of guys. But I'm always rooting for every single player who I watch. I hope they prove me wrong. Oh yeah, that brings me to my question because with the Knicks' eighth pick, I want them to take Devin Vassell. And I know it's like the safe pick. Like, just he doesn't have a lot of upside is what everyone's saying. I'm not a draft expert like you guys, but I do hear what everyone's saying. He's not like the most upside guy, but he's probably going to be able to contribute right away. A lot like what people were saying about Mikhail Bridges. 
But since you guys are in the lottery now for the first time since I think Tim Duncan, yeah. would, you rather your, would you rather your team take a, a safe pick or would you rather go like high risk, high reward, upside guy? I would rather go high risk, high reward, upside guy. Like um, say James Wiseman fell to 11 mm. or say Alexei Pokashevsky falls to 11. I'm fine with either of those guys. Now, I'm not very high on James Wiseman. I think uh, he he got labeled as a unicorn in high school because he put the ball on the floor. He could shoot the three a little bit. In reality, he really isn't a unicorn. He's probably going to be more of a rim runner, uh, rim protector kind of guy on the on the defensive end and then a rim runner on offense. But he's someone who does have potential. He's a good, really good athlete. And he's someone who I could see if, again, like, uh, like uh, y'all were saying earlier, it's if, if one of these players who needs to be on a really strict developmental path goes to a bad organization, they're probably not going to end up as well. But if they go into an organization that has a proven track record of, you know, making players, you know, maximizing their potential, I, I don't have an issue with that. So uh, Alexei Pokashevsky is somebody who I am very high on. I, I don't think he's going to have a day one impact. I don't think he's going to be good maybe even in year two. But he is not. he's not even – like he's not 19 yet. He's still 18. Yeah. He's really young. Um, he, he's one of those guys who I think teams have to be patient with. Um, and I don't want to give a one-to-one comparison because this guy is not uh, similar to him necessarily, but Dragan Bender got drafted by the Suns four and then they were so quick to give up on him. Now I think he was another guy who was kind of overhyped and he wasn't as good as people were saying, but I think if you're going to take someone like that, you got to, you got to see their, their, development through you can't just give up on them so quickly another guy who i kind of feel got the same treatment was a darko milicic where it's just like he wasn't what we expected immediately therefore he's not worth looking at anymore and i think a guy like alexi pokashevsky or james wiseman would be good going to a good team so i I would want the spurs to take a big swing but if they go safe like you said devin Vassell, um i think actually think he would be a really good fit for the knicks because in a in a role player heavy draft he's about as good as you can get and i know a lot of people don't really buy into him having a lot of upside, but I will say he took a really sneaky good jump from freshman to sophomore year. Yeah. Defensively, he was even better, but offensively, his freshman year, he shot, I think he shot two like jumpers off the dribble, and he didn't make either of them. But as a sophomore, he shot 37 and was about 50%. So that's a pretty big jump. I mean, that means he's shooting at least one to two a game. And that's, you know, that shows he added something to his bag. He's still young. You know, he's not the youngest prospect, but he's still young. You know, he's not old by any means. So I think he would be a really smart investment for the Knicks because you've got the 2021 class, the 2022 class. They are absolutely loaded. And with the NBA um, talking about eliminating the one and done rule, the 2022 class will be especially loaded. So I think if the, the Knicks can load up on guys who complement a franchise player, who help keep the defense like he can be a glue guy that's kind of how i defined um uh devin vassell as a glue he's a guy who holds everything together i think that would be a great investment for the knicks and even if his shot doesn't fall next year for whatever team gets him i feel like he can contribute right away defensively like that's how smart he is and good he is on defense i uh, uh, i completely agree definitely and i actually i do think his shot will translate he may not shoot like 40 percent but it, I think it'll probably, if, if even if it's like 35, 36, I think we can consi- continue to see it improve as he as he goes along. And you said my, uh, Mikel Bridges earlier. 
I think that's a really, and I'm not really a huge guy on player comps because I think it like makes people think that's the exact clone. That's who they're going to be. But I think that's pretty much, if you were going to make a clone, that's pretty much as close as you can get to Michael or Mikel Bridges right. um, minus the explosive athleticism, but they would play a similar role. They do similar things. Um, they got similar measurables in terms of like their wingspan, their height, their weight. And again, I really do think I'd love to see him on the Spurs, but uh, I also think I would like to see them just kind of take a swing like they did with Luka Shamanich, who I know a lot of fans aren't really happy with. Well, I one um, one other question I wanted to ask you, kind of separate from draft. So uh, prior to the Knicks selecting Tom Thibodeau as as their next head coach, uh, we know that Will Hardy. Uh, got an interview. I've seen that he also uh, was able to get an interview with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of interested in this guy. You know, obviously the pop uh, coaching tree has been fairly successful for the most part and usually has a pretty good cachet around the NBA when there's job vacancies. Uh, Is there anything, you know, in covering the Spurs that that you know about Will Hardy um, that you can talk about in terms of like uh, what his role is on the team, whether it's player development related or, or what, what does he kind of bring uh, to the Spurs franchise that, that has him kind of um, wanted right now around the league? Yeah, so I'm not, um, I'm not like really like plugged in or anything with the locker room. Um, and I live in Dallas, so I'm not able to you know, be at the games or anything like that. But what I do know is Will Hardy started out with the Spurs as a film intern. So kind of like, um, like Eric Spolstra. And then he became the video co- assistant video coordinator, then video coordinator. Then they made him um, not a lead assistant, but one of the assistants. And he was head coach of the Salt Lake and Las Vegas uh, summer league teams in 2018, I think 2019, uh, the last two years. And he did pretty well with them. And then this year he was a lead assistant kind of out of a necessity more than maybe necessarily like him earning it because pop didn't, he was having trouble filling out the bench. Mm. Um, Ime Doka left. Vitor Messina is gone. Um, I'm blanking on his name. He went back to uh, Italy or not Italy. Uh, he went to the Hornets. I think James Borrego was gone. Borrego, yeah. So those, you know, those main core lead assistants were gone. So Becky is a lead assistant. Now Will Hardy is a lead assistant now. And, I think he, I think the guys respect him. Uh, I think they really do. You know, he has familiarity with them in, in, in the, uh, the summer league games, you know, coaching them there. Uh, so he, he's familiar with them in that capacity. And I think probably one of the things that makes him so attractive is just because he is an assistant for Greg Popovich. We've right. seen a lot of those guys go on to get jobs maybe before they were ready. Um, like PJ Carlissimo with the uh, th- with not the Thunder, yeah, I guess it was the Sonics. Still, um, you know, he was the first coach for Kevin Durant. It didn't really work out there. We saw the same thing happen with Jacques Vaughn, and then he had some years as an assistant, and then he got a chance to be, you know, a head coach when uh, Kenny Atkinson got fired, and he did a pretty good job. So I think we've seen a lot of coaches kind of have that progression from being, you know, the an assistant to a head coach, and I think he again he's attractive because he's part of Greg Popovich's staff, but I don't, I don't know that he's going to get any of these jobs. I, I almost feel like if he is patient, he could have the Spurs head coach job. But I think that probably would go to Becky before it would go to him. But I'm not really that confident in them keeping Becky if they don't secure her. And 
as the head coach in the next, say, year or two because there's just been so much buzz about her. And I think a franchise is going to be willing to hire her as their you know, head coach soon. I was just going to ask, if you had to put a percentage on it, what percentage would you say that you think Becky Hammond will be the next coach of the San Antonio Spurs? I think the likelihood is pretty high. I think it's wow. somewhere between 60-70%. I mean, Tim Duncan was a lead assistant, but he, again, he was a guy out of necessity. He, Popovich... Um, you know, said, I need a favor. I need someone to fill out my bench. I, I need you to do something for me. And so Tim said, yes, he's, I don't think he's a legitimate candidate. I wouldn't even be surprised next year if he didn't come back as an assistant because Tim, after he retired, hung around the, the practice facility, worked with uh, some of the big men, some of the young guys on certain things, but he never had an official role or he wasn't on the payroll. You know, they didn't make him show up. He wanted to show up. And I think he'll probably go back to doing that. And in terms of Will Hardy, I think at this point, Becky's been an assistant longer than he has. It probably goes to her before it goes to to Pop. And I do think they like to keep things in-house. You know, that's always kind of been the Spurs way. In-house, family, loyalty. I think unless those those two get hired away, um, the likelihood of one of them being the next head coach is pretty high. Yeah, I, I know that uh, Becky definitely received – um, you know, a lot of praise around Nick's Twitter. I know there was people in Nick's Twitter that definitely wanted her to at least get an interview, um, for sure. So that that would be uh, awesome to see. Chip, is there anything else that you have for uh for Noah? No, I just wanted to bring up Becky Hammond because I know Nick's Twitter wanted would want us to talk about Becky Hammond. Yeah, just she's been brought up as a head coaching candidate for the job, I think, the last two times the yes. job has been open. Yes. So, yeah, and I don't – I'm not sure if she's actually gotten an interview either time. She may have gotten an interview once. I, I don't think she got an interview this last time. But, I don't uh, think yeah. – I think they, they went yeah. so quickly through the process to Tom Thibodeau they didn't interview her. But I think she did interview a year I don't ago. Think she did. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, she's she's spectacular. I mean, we all know that she's a really good basketball mind. She was an all-star, one of the superstars um, in the WNBA for the San Antonio Silver Stars. Uh, you know, rip to them. They don't exist anymore. But, um, mm. uh, you know, she was awesome. You know, San Antonio Silver Stars player for a long time. Great, you know, pillar in the community. Great player. Really understands the game of basketball. Coached the the G League team, I think, in 2017 to the G League champion, or not the G League, the uh, Summer League championship. So, you know, I think she knows what she's doing, and the players respect her, and Pop clearly respects her. She wouldn't be, you know, one of his three lead assistants. Absolutely, yeah. it'd be cool if she coached the Knicks at some point. That would yeah. be a very cool story. That's true because she did start yeah. off with Liberty, so right. she has yeah. those new right. Rooms. No, before uh, before we let you go, um, two quick things: favorite spur of all time, and favorite Spurs memory of all time. Sure, uh, favorite spur of all time. Not the greatest spur of all time, but my favorite is Manu Ginobili. He just played the game with a different passion. So so flashy. He was different from you know. He was he just stood out like a sore thumb. Yeah. With the rest of the Spurs, where people are like, oh, they're so boring, but you just can't look away when Manu is on the court and. I hated seeing him retire. I knew it was going to happen eventually, but it was just so, I was so sad to see him go. But just, you know, the, from the Euro steps to the, to the hammer passes, to those baseball passes, where you just throw it like all the way, you know, down the court. He was just so much fun to watch diving on the floor. The Spurs fans miss him dearly, but um, you know, I'll always have those great memories. And then for me, my, my greatest memory as a Spurs fan um, 
is actually yeah not the most exciting finals. Probably my least favorite title, but the 2007 championship. Um, my parents were able to get tickets to the watch party at the AT&T Center for Game 4. And I just remember being there, watching it. Being It felt like we were at the game, even though the game wasn't there. Yeah. And we caught, we, each each of us, my, both my parents and I, caught a, a t-shirt there. Now, we never caught a t-shirt. We've been to a ton of games, but we never caught a t-shirt. We all caught t-shirts. <laughs> the Spurs won the game. The, the, the uh, AT&T, or I guess then it was the SBC Center, was just absolutely rocking it was so loud um and and that was really for me like the first championship that like i I can like vividly remember every single game because i'm only 24 right now and and at the time i was only i think i was only 11 i think i might have been 11 or 12 and the other ones like 03 and 05 were great i was still like a a kid i didn't i I liked watching basketball but i didn't really appreciate it and at that point i was i really appreciated it you know i was like you're seeing lebron james um, you know, really become this superstar that he was, you know, prophesized to be. And then you're seeing the big three with Tim Duncan, Manu, and Ginobili, and, uh, and uh, Parker all in their prime, and they're taking down this kid and his, yeah. you know, his, his band of misfits kind of, uh, you know, with ease and four games. And it was, it was an amazing memory. I'll never forget being there. It, was, it truly is a special memory for me. That is pretty awesome. Um, and, and honestly, for Spurs fans in general, I'm sure there's no shortage of, of memories like that. Um, listen, man, uh, awesome, awesome talking Spurs. Uh, before, like I said, before we let you go, if you could please tell the people listening where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find your work. If there's anything that you're working on right now that you want to promote, please do so. Awesome. Yeah. So you can follow me at uh, on Twitter at N underscore Magaro. And you can also find me on YouTube at Noah Magaro George. It's all Spurs related stuff. Sometimes we dive into some NBA stuff. And then lastly, uh, for that channel, I'm going to be having uh, Rudy Campos Jr. and Carolina Teague from the Sports Time, the newest uh, sports show in San Antonio radio. They're going to be on my channel. We're going to be talking about uh, you know, the San Antonio Spurs, the NBA Finals. So that's going to be really cool. You should check it out regardless if you're, you know, a Spurs fan or Knicks fan. And, uh, yeah, check out my work at Pounding the Rock. You know, I write there. I'm always putting articles up. I'm trying to be, you know, good with my content, not just make a lot of it, but make it, you know, solid. So uh, I really appreciate y'all having me on here. It was a lot of fun. Always love talking about the Spurs. And y'all clearly know what you're talking, y'all are talking about too. So I always appreciate that. That's always fun to talk with people who know basketball. Oh, we appreciate yeah, that. Man. Great, man. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, Chip and I, one of the reasons we started doing this pod is, is that we could branch out, you know, network, you know, talk to other people that are crazy fans like us. Um, you know, and anytime there's something that big that, that happens in the organization, you know, you're the first person we reach out to. You know what I mean? So um that's a cool thing about doing this. Like I said, the pleasure is all ours having you on. Um we will definitely be checking your stuff out at, at Pounding the Rock. And, and, the, and the radio show as well. That sounds super cool. Um, and I'm sure we'll be in touch. Awesome. Thank you. All right. And uh, for everybody else listening, uh, we should have a Lakers pod uh, early next week, continuing our NBA A through Z series. We got a little bit of college stuff on the way, Chip and I, just to, just to tease you on that. We got some really cool stuff coming down the pike. Yeah. So as usual, we hope everybody is staying safe, and we will talk to you soon. 